Scripture reading today is from Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. We're studying the Ten Commandments. Um, the Ten Commandments function for us as sort of a synopsis of the moral will of God. In other words, um, if you want to know what does a well-lived human life look like to God, what is God looking for from us, studying the Ten Commandments is a good way to, to discern that. And today we're on commandment number two, which is you shall not make for yourself an image, no graven images. And so to, to address this commandment, I want to do so under three headings. First, I want to talk about what this commandment means, or what does it mean. Secondly, I want to explore what does this commandment reveal about God. And then third, I want to talk about why this is good news. So what does this mean? What does this teach us about the nature of God? And why is this commandment? Really good news for us. Um, so um, to begin, what, what does it mean here when it says, beginning at verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. What does that mean? And let me ask this. Isn't this just a restatement of commandment number one? I mean, doesn't it sound like the same thing? Commandment, the first commandment is you shall have no other gods. The second commandment is you shall not make any idols. Isn't that the, basically the same thing? Well, actually not. And the ancient Hebrews, would, they would have seen the second commandment as introducing an entirely new idea. Um, and basically, you can understand it this way. The first commandment is telling us to worship the right God. The second commandment is telling us to worship the right God the right way. Now, let, let, me, let me explain. In the ancient world, still in many cultures today, a common way for people to worship their deity, this is just a common way to worship one's God, is to make some sort of visual representation, a statue that will, in a certain way, depict attributes of your God, values of your God, and then... When you want to worship, when you want to pray, you approach your God by approaching this statue. In fact, at, at the time when the Ten Commandments were given, back then, virtually every nation on the planet would have worshipped their God this way. This was just the way it was done. This was the commonly accepted way to worship. You would have an artisan make a statue that represents your deity and then to worship your deity. You would do so by approaching that, that statue. That's the way the world did it. And yet, Yahweh stands before his people and says, I don't want you to worship me that way. That's not 
what I want. So you need to understand, in, in this commandment, God was not just telling them not to make statues to worship foreign gods. I mean, they'd already been told not to worship foreign gods. He's telling them not to make statues even when they are worshiping him. Which, surprisingly to us, this is something they were often tempted to do. For, for example, um, are you familiar with the story of Aaron and the golden calf in the, in the wilderness? Aaron, um, Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, he created a golden calf for the people to, to, to worship when they were in the wilderness. When Aaron did that, he was not in trying to entice the people to turn their back on Yahweh and worship some new god. Not, not at all. He, wasn't, he was offering them a chance to worship the same God they'd always worshipped, to worship Yahweh, but to do so the way people did it, through the use of, of a statue. So in Exodus 32, verse 5, if you read it, it says that Aaron built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to Yahweh. You see, he, he wasn't inviting the people to turn their back on the Lord and, and run after some pagan deity. No, he was, he was inviting the people to worship the Lord, but to do it, through a statue. And um, so in, in, in the second commandment, God is saying to the people, I don't want you to worship me that way. I, I don't care if all the other nations in the world do that. I, when you worship me, that's not the way I want you to do it. That, that same idea is repeated about 40 years later in Deuteronomy 12. Moses says this to the people. He says, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about other nations' gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship Yahweh, your God, in their way. Because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that Yahweh hates. So, Basically, in commandment one, God is saying, worship only me. And in basic commandment two, God is saying, worship only my way. Worship me the way I tell you. And if you, that might sound strange, but if you think about it, this is actually a common theme throughout Scripture. Throughout the Bible, God, again and again, God is saying to his people, do worship me this way, don't worship me that way. Do worship me that He's very... He's almost picky. He's very demanding about the way he's to be worshipped. For example, how many of you know the story of Cain and Abel? Very beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, they have two sons. One is named Cain. One is named Abel. These little boys grow up to become young men. And one day they both go to worship the Lord. They each bring their own idea of what would be a good sacrifice. And you would think God would just be happy that anyone wants to worship him at all, right? But he's not. He says to Cain, I don't like your sacrifice. He says to Abel, I do like your sacrifice. It's, see how um, just it's very, God is very particular, very demanding about the way we are to approach him. If you read the book of Exodus, you always think of Exodus, we think of the, you know, the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, and that's what Exodus is about. Almost half of the whole book of Exodus, almost half, is just God giving very specific, it sounds almost monotonous, specific details about exactly how he is to be worshipped. The temple is to be made of this material and this size and this color. The priests are to be from this particular family. They're to wear this kind of clothing. You're to approach me exactly this way. Isn't that something that God would spend half of that whole book just telling them, here's exactly how you approach me. So God is he's kind of particular about how we are to draw near to him. So anyway, this is what the commandment means. This is reflected in the second commandment, this whole idea of God um, 
God prescribing how we are to approach him. The first commandment is you are to worship the right God. The second commandment, you're to worship the right God the right way. Now, um, what does this commandment reveal to us about the nature of God? My second point. What does this teach us about God? Let, let, me, let me just say this. Um, some people in our culture, can we just admit this? In our culture, we might find the second commandment to be sort of distressing. This whole idea that God would tell us how we're to worship him. It just, why? Because we live in a culture, don't we? We live in a culture that places a very high value on individual expression and creativity. So it just seems to us, we kind of think, listen, every, every, don't you think everyone should be allowed to worship God in whatever way they want to? I mean, wouldn't it be more authentic if we did that? I mean, just tell people, be creative, express yourself, be true to your, you know, your, inner, your inner feelings. If, listen, if the way that you like to worship God is to come to church and gather with Christians and hear the word and sing his praise, if that's, if that's the way you just authentically like to do it, that's fine. But, but if you prefer to worship God by taking a hike in the forest or staying home and painting a picture or just, you know, whatever, you need to be authentic with express yourself. So it can be, that's our culture. Sure, all of us, we live in that, that environment. So to us, it can sound a little bit distressing to hear that God would describe as being very particular, telling his people, don't worship me that way. Do worship me this way. It, what, so what, is this, what does this commandment teach us about God? What kind of God are we dealing with here? What does this teach us? Well, the answer, I would say, is this. The second commandment teaches us that God is a real person. He's a real person. Now, I understand the Trinity, three persons in one, but here's what I'm trying to communicate. The second commandment teaches us a doctrine that theologians refer to as the personhood of God. The, the personhood of God means that God, God is not just an idea. God is not an abstract moral philosophy. God is not just some, some kind of inanimate force field that's, that's you know, radiating through the universe. God has personhood. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, what do we mean by personhood? Well, um, let's imagine that we could make a statue that looks exactly like you. I mean, people can't even tell the difference. What is that place on 42nd Street, the wax, Madam Tussaud, yeah, we, let's say Madame Tussaud makes, you're so famous that they want a, they want a statue of you in that, and, and it looks exactly like you. The difference between you and that statue is you have personhood. The statue does not. What, what do I mean? Well, you have emotions. You have a mind. You have a will. You have desires. You, you have a capacity for relationship. You have self-awareness. You have an ability to love. That's what it means to have personhood. And the Bible teaches us that God, God is beyond our comprehension. God is a, an infinite, eternal, spiritual being, way beyond what we can understand. But the Bible tells us that this being whom we call God possesses the attribute of personhood, meaning God has emotions, God has a mind, God has a will, God has desires, God has a capacity for relationship, God has self-awareness, God possesses an 
infinite ability to love. God is a real person. Now, why is that important for us to know? Well, listen, if God is nothing more than an idea or just some kind of inanimate force field, you know, an abstract philosophy, then I guess you could worship God however you want to. Be creative, express yourself, do whatever you like. But if God has personhood, you can't relate. Listen, you can't relate to a person that way. When you relate to a person, you don't do it just by expressing what's meaningful to you. You let them reveal what's meaningful to them. I'll, I'll try to illustrate. My wife, my wife is not a baseball fan. That is an understatement. My wife hates baseball. She finds it so boring. I love baseball. Now let's imagine for my wife's birthday, I say, you know, I, I want to get her a gift that will express me what I value, what I love. I wanted, I wanted to show what's in my heart. So I buy her Yankee tickets. Wouldn't that be foolish? I, if I were to do that, I, listen, I would not be treating my wife as a person. I would be treating her as an idea, my idea of the ideal wife, what the, a wife ought to be like. And, and, and God is basically saying to us, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Don't don't." When he says no images, he doesn't mean just mean graven images. He means going through life with our mental images, which isn't that something we do all the time? How often do you hear people in our culture say, the God I believe in would never send people to hell, or the God I believe in would never prohibit this, or the God I believe in would never allow that. Listen, you may or may not be right about God, but it's not just because he's the God you believe. It's not like God is just an idea that we conjure up and that's who God is and that's why we get mad at each other because I don't like your idea of God how dare you imagine that no listen we're talking about a real being a real person here so so God is saying with this commandment don't don't just reduce me to some image don't 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 come and just like you're just an idea so I'll express myself when I worship you no I'm real so he says you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything under heaven, on the earth, under the sea, I want you to, listen, when you approach me, God says, treat me like I'm real. So the second commandment, um, it, what does it teach us about God? It teaches what theologians would call the personhood of God. Now, final point, why is this such good news for us? If... If God wants you to approach him as a person, what does that mean? That means that God wants a relationship with you. God wants you to know him. He wants a relationship with us. I don't know if you noticed here, uh, all of the relational language that is laced through the explanation that's given for for this commandment. So it's just full of relational language. So it says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations to those who Love me and keep my commandments. You see all the, the, the language of relationship? Those, the, those, so God says here, those who keep the second commandment are not just 
called obedient people. They're called people who love God. And those who break the second commandment are just, not just called disobedient people. They're called people who hate God. Listen, would you agree? Love and hate. That's the language of relationship. And, and, and God said, he, he calls himself a jealous God. Listen, jealous is an intensely relational term. If you lose your keys, you don't feel jealous for your keys. You lose your wallet, you don't feel jealous for your wallet. But if you lose your lover, right, if someone you love leaves you for someone else, you feel jealousy. Why? Because you have lost someone with whom you desired a relationship. So when God says, uh, the, the reason I don't want you just worshiping these images that you fabricate because you like them it, it is because I'm a jealous God. When he says that, he's saying the reason I don't want you worshiping images is because I love you and I want a relationship with you. But see, you can only, listen, you can only be jealous about someone you love, right? God is saying, when he's saying no images, he's saying I'm real, I'm real. And I want you to know me. Now, guys, that should blow our minds. You know, astronomers, astronomers tell us that the observable universe, that's just the parts we've been able to see. There's stuff out there. We have no idea how much is out there. The observable universe is over 93 billion light years in diameter. If you're on one edge of this universe and you travel to the other at the speed of light, it would take you 93 billion years. There are over 100 billion galaxies in our universe. How big is a galaxy? Our galaxy alone contains 100,000 million stars. Who is this God who wants you to know him? He's the being who spoke the universe into existence. And, and he says, I want you to know me. Does that not blow your mind? That God would even know we exist? And yet he says, it's beyond that. I love you. I'm jealous for you. I love you. How, how much, listen, how much does God love you? Well, listen, if you will believe this, you know how much God loves you. God loves you so much and God desires a relationship with you so intensely that in order for you to know him, God sent his son. Do you know how the son of God is described in Colossians 1 verse 15? It says, the son is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the image. God is basically saying, the reason you don't have to make an image of me is because I will send my image to you. The Son, the Son is sent to us so that we might know God. What did Jesus say in John 15? He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? He is the image, not, not the image of God that we made out of our, you know, fancies and imagination. He is the image that the Father sent to us so that we could really know God. So the second commandment says, God says, don't approach me in the old way you want to. Treat me like I'm just some kind of old idea. I'm real. Approach me the way I tell you. The second commandment, God says, you are to approach me the way I, I tell you. The gospel, God says, the way I'm telling you to approach me is my son. 
He is the image. He is the exact representation of, of all of the divine glory. If you want to know Jesus, or God, you come to his son, Christ. Now, these are pretty heady thoughts, aren't they? But they're so deeply heartwarming. There's a real God who really knows you. He wants you to know him through his son. So what is the right way to worship? The right way to worship is to worship God through Jesus. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. The way to know this God, the way to come to this God is to come to his son. Have you done that? He's inviting you today. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for forgetting that you are real and you really love us. Forgive us for creating our own understanding of who we think you ought to be. You're so much better than that. We pray that as we come to the table today, uh, this, this activity that Jesus himself gave us, that we would be reminded of who he is, and as we're reminded of who he is, we would see who you are, and we would rejoice. We pray this in Christ's name.